to preach the second message of this in the second chapter of Ruth. And I want you to get ready because God's going to do something in here with you today. I want you just to stick with me because God's going to blow it out. I promise you. God is doing some incredible things for people. I had a business owner say, man, I, I had a bank call us and say, hey, we want you to be our only one that rehabs for us. And, and so I wasn't even searching for it. God just laid it on me, gave me handfuls on purpose. That's my terminology. And someone say they had a breakthrough, unbelievable breakthrough, financial breakthrough this past week. And a blessing they've been waiting on a long time came through. And another person sell a house and is able to retire. I'm telling you, God is in the blessing business right now. So I want you to hang on, but God gave me a message today, and I want you to poke your neighbor and say, God's got a word for you. The title of this is Handfuls on Purpose. Oh, man, you better get ready. Handfuls on Purpose. Everybody shout, Handfuls on Purpose. All right, I'm going to read. It's a lengthy chapter, and if you don't want to stand, I, I get it, but I, I just turn your attention to the screens and just, and, and just kind of read along with me. Read chapter 2, verse 1 through 23. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. Now, he wasn't just a man of great wealth. History records he was the richest man in Israel at that time. Very wealthy. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. Everybody say favor. favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people who you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Clearly she has given her life to God, the God Jehovah at this point in the story. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me. And have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She had leftovers. And when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. 
Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely. Everybody say purposely. For her, leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an epaw of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? She noticed something was going on. Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you are our Boaz, our kinsman redeemer. I'm so thankful for what you're going to teach us today, God, and what you're about to do. I'm so thankful, God, that you know right when we need handfuls on purpose and you deliver every time. God, I bless you, I worship you, and I ask you now to anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I'm asking you, Lord, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have. If you've got it on a device or you've got it, a paper Bible, why don't you just hold it up and boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody around you and say handfuls on purpose. D.L. Moody back in the 1800s tells a story of a shop girl in Chicago. He said one day she couldn't buy a dollar's worth of anything. The next day, she could buy $1,000 worth of anything she wanted. He said, what changed? She married a rich man. (laughs) And everything that he had became hers. And I just want to tell you that when you connect your life to Jesus Christ, everything he has in heaven comes to you. That's why you need to be baptized in water if you've never been baptized in water. Because the Bible says when Jesus came up out of the water, that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. But watch this. The heavens opened before him. There's something about being baptized in water that when you come up out of that water, I believe the heavens are open. Just like if a manager told you at Macy's, hey, come in here. The store is open. Everything we have is yours. In the next 30 minutes, grab all you can. I want to tell you, whatever you need from God, he has got available to you. When you connect to Jesus, you get it all. Somebody shout amen. Amen. In verse 1, 
We have an entire chapter 1 that is devoted to them going to Moab, leaving Moab, coming back to Bethlehem. And in, in chapter 2, verse 1, we have a man named Boaz who enters the picture. Now, Boaz's name means strength or fleetness or swiftness. But he is a relative that has the ability to qualify for what the Old Testament calls a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was someone who could buy back, redeem, save, or rescue a family member. A kinsman redeemer was simply stated what took care of the weak family members who faced critical and hopeless situations. They were in a place they could do nothing for themselves. This person of means had the ability to buy them back and raise up seed through them so their line wouldn't perish. It was a law established by God himself that guaranteed the rescue or salvation of his people from helpless and hopeless situations. Well, Boaz is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ very clearly in the book of Ruth. And I want to tell you something here today. The good news is, is that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He saw us helpless in our sin. He saw us hopeless in our life. He saw we had no means to rescue ourselves. He saw we were inundated with sin. He saw we were buried by our decisions. And God said, I will send your, your Boaz. I will send your Jesus. I will send you Jesus, your kinsman redeemer, that will do for you what you couldn't possibly do for yourself. Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Boaz could possibly be the answer, and I believe, and it's very clear in the scriptures, it was a divine setup that Ruth and Naomi had no idea what was coming. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. I love this. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. I, I love this about Ruth. You know, God is looking for people to take initiative. She doesn't say, well, Naomi, I think you should get out there and go get some grain for us. She doesn't say, well, let me just pray and just see where God leads me to go. She had an issue and she said, well, just let me go out and do something. I'm sure Naomi had taught her about reaping from the fields by this point in time. In fact, Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, a little bit of history here as we get into the message. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So God says, I've got a plan for people that can't take care of themselves. When you, when you harvest the field, you're going to leave the corners, let it drop, and the poor people can come by and at least they can have their needs met and have a meal on the table. God cares about every single one of us. But I want you to know the incredible humility that Ruth shows by this. History records, as I said last week, she was King Eglon's daughter. She was a princess. This is a young lady that has never done anything like this in her life. She grew up in a palace and had everything handed to her. She now finds herself going out with the poor and the paupers, reaping the corners of the field. She thinks nothing of it. She doesn't see herself as too high. She says, just give me whatever I got to do. I want to get out there. She had pure motives. She was putting Naomi's needs ahead of her own. 
She wasn't thinking about marrying a wealthy Jew. Listen, at this point in the story, she doesn't even know that a Boaz exists. All she knows is Naomi's going to starve. I'm going to starve. I've got to do something. Poke your neighbor and say, do something. Her primary concern was to care for Naomi. You don't find in the book of Ruth her whining about her widowhood, her crying about her troubles, all of her economic problems, never complaining about her background. She just gets out there and does the only thing she knows to do. I want to tell somebody, there are so many Christians that are praying and waiting for God to show them what to do. And God is saying, well, I'm waiting for you to just do something. It's time that we get out and do something for the kingdom of God. I firmly believe that if you're going the wrong way, as in the book of Acts, God will tell you, no, I don't want you going that way. Oh, I don't want you going that way either. Let me give you a dream, and I'll show you where I want you to go. God is looking for people that will pray yes, but he's looking for people that will get out there and say, well, I can witness to somebody. I can share the gospel with somebody. I can tell somebody Jesus loves them. I can knock on somebody's door and invite them to church. I can do something for Jesus. Now, when you do the right thing, God's going to take care of you. And that leads me to point number one. Jesus will make good things happen for you. (laughs) Just personalize that. Just say, Jesus will make good things happen for me. Watch Ruth 2, 3. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. The Hebrew word, I hope I say it right, is micre, and it means something met with by accident or by fortune. In English, when we want to explain something that just happened to us, what will we do? We'll say something like, well, this just happened to me, or I just happened to cross. In other words, I wasn't looking for it. And usually it's in the connotation of something very positive. Well, I I didn't know what I was doing. I just happened to come into the blessing of God. I just happened to come across it. I I just happened to come across this incredible deal. And I was able to pay cash for my car. I just happened to meet the right doctor who prescribed me the right medicine. And man, I'm all well. I just happened to go into the doors of the right church. And God got a hold of my heart. Man, I'm preaching to somebody. Listen, there is no just so happens in the kingdom of God. Ruth just happened to be in the right place at the right time. But I want to tell you something. It sounds like it's a big accident, but there are no big accidents with God. When you're doing the right thing, and you're going the way you're supposed to go, and you're doing what you know to do, the Holy Spirit will direct your path into the right field, into the right place, and your needs will be met. Woo! I believe that. God makes no mistakes. In one church years ago, there was a message in tongues and the interpretation was a little longer coming. So one man got impatient. He thought he'd help out God. He stood up and he said, Thus says the Lord, As I was with Moses in the lion's den, so shall I be with you. He sat down. People kind of looked around. About 10 seconds later, he sat up and he said, Thus says the Lord, I made a mistake. It was Daniel in the lion's den. No, sir, God makes no mistakes. There is nothing by happens chance. 
There is no accidents. There is nothing that just happens. Well, as luck would have it, I just ran across the right person at the right time. Uh Uh-uh. When you're in Jesus' care, when you're serving Jesus and walking with Him, when the Holy Spirit has filled you and you're walking by the Spirit, He will lead you to the right places. He'll lead you to the right people. He'll lead you to the right church. He'll lead you and give you exactly what you need. There is nothing by accident with God. God orchestrates our steps. Somebody say amen. I want to tell you when this happens chance happened to Ruth back on the road leaving Moab when she said "Uh uh-uh Naomi you can't get rid of me your people are my people watch this and your God is now my God that's when God said oh am I your God now (laughs) let me just orchestrate you right where you need to be in all the fields in Bethlehem and everywhere in Israel you could go I'm going to put you in the right place at the right time and you ain't seen nothing yet You just think you're going to glean from the field. You wait till I get done blessing you and your family. When you commit your ways to God, he will direct you and he'll command the blessing. For believers, listen, nothing ever happens by chance or circumstance. God is a master orchestrator. Her steps were led by God. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall what? Listen, Ruth had all kinds of things against her. She had a social problem. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabitess. I'll break that down in a second. She's got an economic problem. She's got a mess on her hands. Listen, ordinarily without God, Ruth is in a... She's in a tough spot. Ruth 2, 2, watch this. So Ruth the Moabitess. Everybody shout the Moabitess. That's labeling her. There's Ruth, the one from the cursed land. There's Ruth, the cursed one. Now I want to tell you, God wants to give you a, a new name. Maybe they say the same thing about you. There's Roy, the alcoholic. There's Fred, the gossip. There's Sally Sue, the prostitute. There's Fred, the the gossip. There's Johnny, the liar. There's Emily, the bitter, hateful one. And we want to put names in all this, but I want to tell you something. God no longer, when you come to Jesus Christ, sees your life as one from cursed land or cursed anymore, but rather blessed. As a matter of fact, when you come to Jesus, he said you're blessed and highly favored. She was a widow. She was a minority. She was a cursed person. She was a poor person as far as income and property happened. She had none. She's from a cursed land. She had every setback you can imagine. But as her hap was to glean the fields, God ordered her steps to someone who could answer her problem. And while she's out working, doing what she knows to do, Boaz shows up, greets everybody, and he takes a look and he says, Hey, who we got in the field today? Oh, that's Ruth the Moabitess, the cursed one. Huh? the cursed one. Well, I've got some means to take care of her. And that leads me to point number two, and that is this. Jesus will take care of you. Poke your neighbor and say, Jesus will take care of you. 
Watch after he asks about her. Oh, she's the cursed one from Moab, huh? Okay. Verse 8 and 9. Boaz says to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Don't go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field when they, which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. There is so much in this one verse. I could preach a whole sermon. The first thing Boaz does is talk with her. He just simply comes over and he begins speaking to, Bo, uh, to Ruth to connect with her. Isn't it amazing that the God who created the entire universe, first and foremost, wants to simply talk to you? The number one thing Jesus wants to do in your life is to connect with you. That's the whole reason he came. To build the bridge back between us and God. God said, I long to talk with my children. I long to connect with them. I long to have relationship. I don't know who this is for. But Jesus didn't die on the cross so that he can be the mean, evil stepfather in the sky with a cosmic belt in his hand saying, well, if you break the rules one time, I'm going to beat you with a bicycle chain. He is the God that said, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross because I'm desperate to connect with you and have a relationship with you. Christianity isn't about rules and regulations. It is about connecting to Almighty God. Woo! You can hear the voice of God. In the month of August, I'm preaching a whole series on hearing the voice of God and how to hear His voice. You're going to love it. Listen, the first thing Jesus wants to do with you and I is connect to us in a relationship. In verse 8, He went a step further. First, He starts talking to her and He says, Listen, don't leave my field. I'm going to take care of you. Everything you need is in my field. I'm going to provide for you. God is speaking to you and me today just like Boaz to Ruth. And he is saying, don't leave my field. The world's going to rob you blind. The world's going to take from you. The world's going to steal from you. But if you stay under my covering, if you stay in my field, if you stay in my house, if you stay in my care, I'm going to provide every single thing you need. Somebody shout amen. amen. He is our provider. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't know who this scripture is for, but I want you to take your phone out. And I want you to take a picture of it. It's Isaiah 45.3. This is for somebody. I don't know who it is. Pull it up on the screen. I will give you, watch this, the treasures of darkness. Stop right there. It's the treasures of darkness because you don't know where it is. But God does. Ruth didn't know where her provision came from, but God did. I will give you the treasures of darkness, and watch this, and hidden riches of secret places. That screams provision. God knows where the wealth of this earth is, and he may give you an idea today on how to get that. 
You may have an idea. Say, I just have an idea. And all of a sudden, God starts providing. All of a sudden, you say, well, I'm just going to try this. And God starts releasing riches and treasures, things to you to provide for you and your family and for over an abundance so you can give for the kingdom of God so that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel. He told her, he said, hey, listen, and when you get thirsty, my young men are drawn pure water from probably the gates of Bethlehem, the same water that David wanted some from, I believe. Anyways, and he said, hey, you want some fresh water? When you get hot and tired working, I'm going to provide water for you. Glory to God. Jesus is saying the same thing to somebody in here today. John chapter 4, the woman at the well from Samaria. He said, hey, if you drink of that natural water, you're going to get thirsty again. Woo! But if you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst again. He wasn't talking in the natural. He was talking in the spirit, man. He said, you drink of my living water and you'll be saved and you'll be satisfied. Woo! Somebody shout amen. Amen. Then he said, not only am I going to connect with you with a relationship, not only am I going to provide for you, I'm going to protect you. He said, have I not commanded the young men not to touch you and lay a hand on you? Listen, Ruth could have been verbally abused. She could have been beaten. She could have even been raped. He said, I know how the world works. He said, but listen here, Ruth, if you stay in my field, you don't have to worry about nothing. I got you. I got you. Poke your neighbor and say, God's got you. If you get outside of the Lord's field, if you get out there on your own outside of our Boaz's field, Jesus, then you may be on your own. But I'm telling you, if you stay in his house, if you stay in relationship with him, if you stay in step with Jesus and the Holy Ghost, I come to tell you something. God's going to protect you. God's going to watch over you. And when the enemy tries to get you in a car accident, the blood of Jesus around your car says, not today, Satan. And when he says, I'm going to do this to your children, God says, not today, Satan. Man, I'm preaching to somebody. God won't just connect with you. He'll provide for you and he'll protect you. Verse 10. She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? She found favor with Boaz. Everybody take your phone out. Take a picture of this scripture. Are you ready? Luke 2.52. Watch this. Luke 2.52. Go to the next one. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Listen, take a picture of this. Every day we should pray, God, give me favor with you and people. Every day we should be praying, God, grant me your favor with you and with people. Favor provides some incredible things. Favor will stop death. It did with Esther and the Hebrews. Favor will bring great financial blessing. Laban told Jacob, everything I have, I'm so blessed because of you. Favor brings a double blessing. Elisha got a double portion from Elijah. Favor will speed up your destiny. Joseph went from the prison to the palace in one day. Listen, I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's somebody in here. You think the dream is years away. You think all way down the road one day. God can make it happen in one day. You could wake up tomorrow and get the phone call that says your dream has been realized. God could say, hey, your time is about to meet up with your destiny and you are just 24 hours away. That's what happened with Joseph. Favor causes the impossible to happen. It'll cause Red Seas to split. It'll cause Jordan Rivers to stand at a It'll cause your Jericho walls to fall down flat. We need the favor of God. 
Favor brings life. Psalm 30 and 5, watch this. It, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We know the last part of that well. Well, joy is coming in the morning, Pastor. But I want to tell you, I think the greatest part of that whole scripture is his favor is life. Pastor, you don't know what I'm up against with my background. You don't know what my job did. You don't know what my economics has been. My finances are in the toilet. I've got problems everywhere. Listen, when you connect with Jesus and he gives you favor, all that changes. When a person works an eight-hour day, they receive a fair day's pay for their time. It's called a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for performance... It's called a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service and high achievements, it's called an award. (laughs) But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyways, it is a great picture of God's unmerited favor. Woo! Somebody shout favor! Favor! Watch this. Favor's coming. Ruth 1.12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. I love it. He, he said repay. That's a covenant of peace. Full reward be given you. There's great results. I'm gonna, God's going to pay you back for all the good you've been doing. A preacher died. An old preacher died. And he went to the gates of heaven and St. Peter's walking around. And he sees that an old foul mouth. Cab driver's got a better place than him. He said, hey, what's up with this? You got a cabbie? What a better place than me? What do you mean? I devoted my life to my congregation. Simon Peter said, well, our policy up here is to reward results. Now, what happened, Reverend, when you started preaching? He said, people went to sleep on you, didn't they? He said, well, yeah, they did. He said, exactly. He said, and when people were in this man's taxi, not only did they stay awake, but they prayed too. <laughs> Ruth 1.13. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. You know what comforted me means? Breathe strongly. A big sigh. God's got... How many have ever breathed sigh? How many have ever God's come through and you just... You know what I'm talking about? Am I t- preaching to anybody? You just, that's what Jesus will do for you when you get in his presence. You'll be so tied up with anxiety, you can't get enough Xanax. You'll be so worried, you can't even eat nothing. You'll be shaking inside, and when his presence and his glory comes on you, all of a sudden, there's somebody in here, you need a sigh of relief today. And I tell you, it comes through Jesus Christ. I love that she says, I am not like all your other maidservants. I'm I'm a foreigner. I'm this and I'm that. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be like everyone else? Aren't you glad you don't have to be perfect? You don't have to have it all together. All Jesus requires is just get in his field and get connected to him. Somebody shout amen. And the last point, you're going to start shouting here in a minute. Point number three is this. Jesus will bless you with more than you need. Say that with me. Say, Jesus will bless you with more than you need. 
Watch this. It starts heavy. I like this. Ruth 1.14. And Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread. Dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. First of all, Boaz says, Hey, I don't want you eating out there where everybody else in the world eats at. You come sit at my table. You have to understand... It was a tremendous honor and privilege to be able to eat with someone of prominence at their table. Boaz has his eye on her and he says, hey, I see what you've been doing. God's going to bless you and let's just start right here. I want you to sit and eat at my table what I eat. At Boaz's table, the Bible says she was satisfied. She was filled to satisfaction. I want to tell you, Jesus will always satisfy your soul. <laughs> he will always satisfy your heart. He will always satisfy you. You will never leave the presence of Jesus unsatisfied. You will never leave lacking anything. You will have all your fulfillment wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He will take care of everything. She was filled and had left some, some left over. I want to tell you, he is the God of more than enough. And watch what verse 15, 16 says. When she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Shout out handfuls on purpose. Boaz was now going to break every standard tradition of the day. Here's how this works. Strangers were allowed to glean only a small corner after the main harvest was collected. Boaz says, now you're connected with me. You're going to sit at my table and eat. And also, I'm going to let you glean before the sheaves are even bound. That was a very rare privilege at that time and day. Then he takes it a step further. He says in verse 16, let fall also some of the handfuls on purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. I want you to drop some blessing on her. I want you to drop some provision on her. I want you to drop some healing on her on purpose. Everywhere you see her walk, just let some fall down. Everywhere you say, and you just walk along in life and say, oh, I just check came in the mail out of nowhere. Praise God. I don't know where it came from. That's called a handful on purpose. Well, I didn't expect this blessing. I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe that my sickness went away. I can't believe that God did this. Oh, that's that handful on purpose. Jesus wants you to know he's thinking about you. Jesus wants you to know you're not forgotten. He wants you to know that you're on his mind. Ruth went out to gather and she got handfuls on purpose. Now listen, she's already eaten and here she is out in the field. I'm sure it's a hot sun. Sweat's dripping from her head. Her muscles are sore. Her back is aching. She'd never done this kind of work before. And I bet you the devil's whispering in her ear. Uh-huh. Ruth, you really made a good choice going after this God. I bet your sister-in-law, Orpah's over there. She'd have married a prince already. I bet she's living it up. Look at you out here killing yourself. And about that time, when she thinks, I can't go on, my back's killing me. I can't handle another thing. God, if one more thing goes wrong in my life, and all of a sudden she looks down and there's a bundle on purpose. 
I want to come to tell somebody that God will bless you with handfuls on purpose. Just when you think you can't make it anymore. Just when you think, I'm going to go to church one more time and see what happens. Just when you walk in the doors like this. Just when you go to the prayer closet one more time and say, well, let me just throw up a wishful prayer. God says, I got some handfuls on purpose for you. Handfuls of blessing. Handfuls of favor. Handfuls of provision. Handfuls of protection. Just when you think you've reached your limit, God has handfuls on purpose. Handful of purpose at a time. Do you need a handful on purpose? Let me tell you what he does in Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation, Selah. You know what God says? I'm going to load you down, all right. But I'm not going to load you with burdens. I'm not going to load you with problems. I'm going to load you so heavy with benefits that you don't even know how to speak right anymore. One man came up, devout Christian. Guy says, how you doing? He said, brother, I'm just so burdened. But he was smiling. He was like, brother, I'm just so burdened. He said, well, your language says you're burdened, but your face says you ain't. He said, I'm just overwhelmed with so much blessing from God that I don't even, I don't even have enough time in the day to thank him for all that he's done. Woo. So watch this in closing, Ruth 117. You're going to love this. It's the best part. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epaw of barley. Everybody say it, epaw. Now, I read this, and I'm sure you do. You say, okay, well, what does that even mean? I mean, it's like metrics. We measure in feet and yards. You go to another country, and they're in metrics, and they're trying to figure it all out, meters and all that. Okay. An epaw of barley was around five gallons or 60 pounds of food. According to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, an omer was one-tenth of an epaw, and that was as much as a person could eat in one day. When they were gathering manna, they would eat about a, a, an omer of food. That was one-tenth of an epaw. So in one day, God, Boaz, gave her enough provision for her and Naomi to eat for five days. Look at the screen. Five days worth of provision for two people in one day. Ordinarily, you are lucky to get one day's worth of food for one person in the small corners of the field. When she walked in the door with a satchel of 60 pounds, <clears throat> Naomi looks and says, girl, where have you been? Who took notice of you? Because this ain't normal. Well, it was a guy named Boaz, and he even told me, he said, don't leave the field, come back tomorrow, and he'll keep laying it on me. <laughs> That's the next message next week, lay it on me. You, it's going to get better next week. You don't want to miss it. She said, I got this 60 pounds, but from what I hear from him, he's got more coming. So I'm going back to his field tomorrow. She says, girl, you don't even understand what I know. 
This man is able to redeem us. Listen, when God blesses you with handfuls on purpose, he will multiply your efforts. He will bless your finances and give you more for your work. Somebody shout amen. I need my prayer team. Prayer team, I want you to come up. We're going to do something special here today. I need your prayer team. And we're going to form a tunnel. I need people on this side, and I need people on this side. And here's what we're going to do. There are people who are going to walk through. I want everybody who wants some handfuls on purpose. I want you to line up back there, and you're going to walk this way. And here's what we're going to do. There's some tissues there. Everybody get you some tissues. And as they come through, we're going to hand out handfuls on purpose. How many needs a handful on purpose today? Maybe you say, I'm low. I just need some help today. God said, oh, really? I got some handfuls on purpose. I've been seeing you, Geneva. I'm seeing what you're doing for them girls. I'm seeing what you're doing for the family. I'm seeing what you're doing for the house of God. Here. I just want to bless you and Pete. My blessed Lord, you just get ready. You just think you've seen something. You ain't seen nothing yet. God says, I see your heart for God. I see what you're doing for the Lord. I'm going to bless you. Oh, I'm going to open that womb. You get ready. It's coming. Fast and furious. Not just one or two or three, but plenty. My God, my blessed Lord. Handfuls. Handfuls. Somebody shout glory. I need some music cranked up. I want you, if you want...